Alrighty, welcome to episode 5 of Beyond the Snap podcast. We're coming to you from a literal freezing Austin, Texas. In the center of Texas, it is Arctic feeling. Um, let's, let's just say that to start with. I mean, there might be a little cold because Texas knows that Georgia's coming over this season. They're getting a little scared. It's getting a little cold outside. But I'm doing good. Kieran, how are you this year or this day? Great, yeah. Uh, Even better, since just before we went on air, literally as hot off the presses, or I suppose as cold off the presses as you can get, uh, wide receiver Isaiah Bond, who jumped in the transfer portal from Alabama earlier this week, yes, that Bond, Bond, Isaiah Bond, uh, star of Gravedigger, the play that resulted in the SEC getting a playoff shot and then immediately blowing it to Michigan. Um, He will be headed, he will suit up for the burn orange and white next year, and I could not be more excited as a very biased Texas fan for this little segment. I must say, I'm incredibly excited to have Isaiah Bond this year. I think it's a huge ad for Texas. I think it's a really big ad considering A.D. Mitchell and Worthy are both going to end up in the uh, in the draft. Sorry, not the portal. Um, and yeah, uh, this is a very important episode for us because college football uh, just as we, you know, thought we were on the downhill, thought we could start looking forward, uh, the big news hit. Yeah, it went. It, it's crazy the insanity that has happened over the last week. Uh, we haven't been, you know, able to kind of cover it for you yet. Uh, but that's what this episode is here to do. But we're going to save some of that for the end of the episode because there is, uh, to some degree, a chance that more news might break, and therefore we're going to stick that to the end of the episode and lead with a Isaiah bond and B Washington uh, because of aforementioned Kalen DeBoer is heading to Alabama. Uh, if you've been living under the proverbial rock of college football, Washington is losing out to the draft and to the portal. Uh, obviously Penix is headed to the draft. Odunze is headed to the draft. Uh, Polk is headed to the draft. I think Muhammad is transferring or heading to the draft. And there is a huge number of losses for Washington. So, Kirtan, how does that stack up for their season next year? For So, uh, first off, I just want to talk real fast about, like, what this means for Isaiah Bond coming over to um, UT. Well, first off, this is an excellent wide receiver who we know is dominant whenever he gets hot. We saw what he did in the SEC Championship game to my Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, we know the effect that he can have on a game. He can really turn something, turn a season, turn a game, turn a play around, and positively – it's going to be a positively effect meaning for UT Sarkeesian. And of course, Quinn Ewers did officially state that he will be returning for his 2024 season as a University of Texas burnt orange Longhorn. Um, so again, you're off the bat. You already know Texas is going to be probably one of the favorites to win it all. Um, I mean, this raises the question about what is the Nick Saban effect and how uh, how big of an effect is this going to be on all of the Crimson Tide? Like we spoke about um, on my single episode, I talked about how I don't think it's going to be this big of an effect. But now looking at it, you can tell more players are leaving, more players are trying to go places where they know and feel like the culture is stable. And of course, when you bring in a new coach, you bring in new culture, and it could be a lot of drama. It could be a lot of problems. But for the most part right now, I think Bama is doing well, and I think this is a big, big grab for Texas to have. 
Um, like Kieran said, we just talked about Washington and their losses, and they just keep losing. I mean, you lost your quarterback, your Heisman quarterback. In my opinion, I believe he deserves the Heisman. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., you lost Roma Dunze to the first-round picks of the NFL draft. Um, What does this really mean for Washington? Well, as we all know, Washington is now headed to the Big Ten, and they're going to be facing some scary, scary opponents in the Big Ten. But with them losing a head coach, with them losing an uh, offensive coordinator, with them losing all of their start, like all of their best starting talent, how are they really going to fare this year? And honestly, I don't think it's going to be that good. I think it's going to be a downhill slope. And I don't think they're going to – they're going to be like the TCU of last year where they had an insane Cinderella run. They beat everyone. And it really wasn't insane because it was well-deserved run. But then they're going to have a very low turnover this year, and it's going to be a downhill slope. So those are my thoughts on Washington. What do you What do you think, Kieran? Yeah, so to me, Washington is, is, and everybody, there were some people who compared them to TCU just in terms of player quality and in terms of player, player like availability and talent. And to me, that's not where the TCU comparison comes in. To me, the TCU comparison comes, and now it is also technically, you know, it's an app comparison for Michigan as well. It's a very senior-related team, or at least a team that has a lot, has so much draft talent and they don't have anything to back right back it up, right? At the next levels, at the backup levels, it's a solid roster in terms of the starting 22. But behind that, it's not super deep, right? I don't expect – Washington is losing a lot, right? They've lost their head coach. They've lost their offensive coordinator. And they've lost pretty much all of their top players to the draft. So, to me, Washington changes massively. And it does become like that TCU where they take, you know, a big step back. And whether or not they're going to be a long-term contender, I don't know. I would have said, yes, 100%, they're going to be a long-term contender. Kalen DeBoer is going to get that roster. But now that Kalen DeBoer, and this is the probably the craziest thing I've said since being on this podcast, now that he's at Alabama, which is a crazy sentence, you know, it's insane, and we'll discuss it more later. But the who Washington's going to have, who their, what their coaching staff's going to look like, what the recruiting's going to look like, is kind of it's called into question, and I think it questions whether or not they'll be able to stay at the top of college football, especially in what will be a very tough conference in the Big Ten next year. Yeah, and like we're talking about Washington leaving now that the program is quote unquote unstable, as you don't have a defining head coach anymore, and as we are recording this video at eleven thirty-eight a.m. on January fourteenth. There is pro- there's an active search going on for who will be the replacement for Kalen DeBoer. Um, now, this is a common theme. I mean, we're talking about lots of players are leaving from these, like I said, quote-unquote, unstable programs. And this could mean a plethora of different reasons. This could be a Alabama moment where you can technically consider them a little unstable as the new like coaching regime and how they really are losing Isaiah Bond. I believe there's another player that just entered the um, the portal. And so there's lots of things going on, but you can see that for any team. Any team that is quote-unquote unstable, maybe the players aren't gelling right. Maybe the program has been stalling out. Lots of players are going to leave. They're going to look for different talent. And so this is a common trend, and that's why I think Washington's going to suffer the same 
problems that TCU did this year. Yeah, well, I think that's yeah, great. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, kind of looking to their future. I, you know, I think you're right. And I think it's going to be a hard battle for them to get back to where they were. Yeah. All right. So moving on, we got some season rankings. I think this is one of our personal favorite segments because we do it a whole bunch. Um, so we're going to kick this off to you, Kieran. What do you think about the Oregon Ducks season this year? Yeah, so I think, especially with his name, it was kind of thrown in the pot for the Alabama coaching job. And, you know, Dan Lanning has done a fabulous job there. You know, while he's lost to Washington twice and, you know, is not quite quite at the top yet, right, he's shown his commitment to the program. He's shown his desire to win. He's taken – he's brought in two of the best uh, quarterbacks in football through the transfer portal to compete to start for him, which is insane achievement in this modern era, right? Um, And they're both very good quarterbacks, and I have have yet to see he'll start, and they've got a lot of talent coming back next year. And to me, they should be – you know, to me, they're the favorite to win the Big Ten right now. But this year – I think it was, you know, maybe a bit of a letdown, right? With the two losses to Washington, obviously they smacked Liberty in the bowl, but can you really expect anything else? Uh, It's a very talented roster up against a FBS roster uh, that is not, you know, up to par, that played the weakest schedule, right? Um, And to me, I think that Oregon dropping those two games to Washington, who would finish runner-up in the championship – is not a huge thing to fault them for. I think they had a very good season. I think if you're an Oregon Ducks fan, you could be very confident and happy that your team is on the way up. Um, and I think to me that's an eight and a half out of ten. I mean, there's you know you, they could have won the Washington game certainly. They could have made a run in the playoff. But to me, I think that's a very you know, it's a solid season and it's something for Dan Lanning to build on as he has clearly stated. But what are your thoughts, Kirtan? All right, so. With Oregon, they had a slight improvement this year. They didn't drop any games to they well they only dropped to a games to one team essentially. Their entire season this year was capped off by a really dominant team, a really dominant offense, a very good leader in Bo Nix, but could not get over the hump of the Washington Huskies as they lost to them in the regular season and lost to them in the Pac-12 championship. So, of course, this is a slight improvement from last season as they did lose to Oregon State last season. And I think Dan Lanning handled the season very well. I think he was able to control the pace of play, and he really showed to be a really good coach. And that is one of the reasons why the Crimson Tide wanted to recruit him to be the head coach of, uh, to be the head coach of Alabama. As we know, he came out saying that he didn't want to take the job because he knows what he's building in that, um, in that program. He's bringing in two of the best quarterbacks, in my opinion, in DJ Moore and Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel. And this team, it just proves that they're going to get better and better. And especially the fact that you lost to the runners-up in the national championship means you lost to the second-best team in the world. And so you can't really fault a team for doing that, uh, even though they did really choke um, the Pac-12 championship game as – you would think it'd be a revenge game. You'd think they'd come in with some tenacity, but they never did. And so for that main reason, I have to give it a 9. So near perfect. Alrighty, moving on, we got the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, 
wow, I mean, this season was insane. Um, I'll kick it off by saying, if you are a Rebels fan, you can't ask for much more. This is looking like the Archie Manning days, where you have a team that is very good, very uh, proven, especially this year with their captain, Jackson Dart, a fearless, fearless quarterback who is willing to tuck the ball, run, get hit, bounce up, go again. He was ready. He loved football. It was just a player that you, when you looked at him, you could tell he loved the sport. He loved the game. And he was willing to go out there and risk it all to get a win. Um, you were beating teams left, right, and center as a um, Rebels fan. And behind Lane Kiffin being your coach, and of course, we always talk about him looking for a different job, maybe wanting to go somewhere else. But this year, he really proved that he can stay at Ole Miss and build like a, a really successful team. Um, their offense, like I said, capped off by Jackson Dart and also having a phenomenal defense. Of course, they would have liked to see some more defense, especially against Georgia, as they did lose 52-17. to But again, it's one of the top teams in the nation. But the fact that you were able to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl only had two losses on the season. Like I said, uh, Georgia and then Bama, another team that made the top four. You really couldn't have asked for much more. And then capping that off with a win in the New Year's Six Bowl, I think compared to last season, this has to be a perfect 10. Kieran, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think... This is very interesting for Old Miss, uh, and particularly for Lane Kiffin. I think he's done well. Um, I think that he is, you know, perhaps a better coach than some people give him credit for. You know, it remains to stay. It remains to be seen whether he'll stay there in the long term and what his success will be, and you know how he's going to change and evolve and adapt and make that roster better. But so far, it looks great. I mean, I can't fault him really. To me, it's, I think it was a pretty perfect season. Uh, maybe, you know, I would have liked to seen them play a little better against Georgia uh, in that gauntlet that Georgia had. And you have to think that when Bama beat them, you know, maybe there was a chance that they should have lost one there. Um, but overall, I can't fault them. And I have to say that it's a, you know, a nine and a half out of ten. Uh, not quite to the ten standard, I don't think. But I think it was a very good season. I think it's something to build on. And I think Old Miss is really dangerous in the SEC next year. Yeah. All right. Moving right along, we have the runners-up in the national championship. We have the Washington Huskies. Kieran, what are your thoughts on this team and this phenomenal season they had? Yeah. So Washington is – they're a very, very talented team, especially on the offensive side of the football. Their defense improved. Uh, with their, you know, their corner, Muhammad being one of, I think, the best coverage corners in football. Uh, very good, very solid, able to, you know, win those one-on-one matchups. Pinnix and the receivers, of course, are talked about a lot and are outstanding. Uh, their D-line was, you know, it got the job done. Braylon Trice uh, was very good, I thought, off the edge. Uh, although their defensive tackles did struggle, I think, more than most people thought. Uh, especially against a good running attack um, from both Texas and also from Michigan, obviously the, what decided the national championship. I mean, Washington to me was able to, up until they faced the Michigan Wolverines, there was not a single team I thought that looked wholly like themselves with the exception of maybe Oregon state when they played the Washington Huskies. To me, they were just able to unsettle and they were able to always be attacking, right? 
even if they were because they weren't favored in so many games, right? Even if they were perceived as a better team, they were always the underdog, right? They were always the one attacking, and it was able to you know unsettle unsettle the other team, you know, put them on the back foot early, and then Washington could just keep pressing the gas and push them up against the wall, and that was the game. And to me, that's an incredible, incredible way to play. The fact that they were able to hold on and always do that and always be that aggressive is huge to me, and I think it deserves a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and now, of course, we just talked about how they are back-to-back national – or not back-to-back national – they're back-to-back very good years as a team as a whole. Uh, Last season, they only had losses to UCLA and Arizona State, which, of course, is – um, not that great, especially Arizona State. They're not that great of a team right now. But the fact that this team was so talented every single game they played, they played with full heart, they played and used their weapons efficiently, and they won by a considerable measure in all games. The only one I can think about is really that Washington State game where it was down to the field goal to win it. Um, but Kieran hit the nail on the head here. Washington always came in with that underdog mentality, and the way I like to think of this is think a bit as king of the court, essentially. The winner, he's going to stay the king, and his whole goal is to defend what's his. So he's going to play conservative. He's going to try to stay on top. While with Washington, they were always known as the underdogs. They were always the team that was there. They were going to challenge. They probably weren't going to win. But Washington, like Karen said, were able to unsettle the other team, hit them with different moves, hit them with different plays, different schemes, different just different ways of executing the game. And that's what made the team that was playing conservative, the favorite team, to end up losing to Washington. And, of course, let's not get to the fact that they beat University of Texas, which I think is probably equally or probably more talented with, like, a more talented roster than Washington. And the fact that they were able to unsettle Texas, I mean, it speaks to their, like, team and it speaks to how good they were this season. So, of course, I have to give this a 10. Moving right along, we have the national championship winners. Now, if Kieran gives this team any rating below perfect, I'm going to be a little mad. Um, Kieran, yeah, let's hear it. So this is going to be a, a historic grade that would be reserved if we had been in the business for the 2019 LSU season, for the 2020 Bama season. To me, everybody and certain you know media personalities – and other people have been saying that they didn't think Michigan was ever untouchable. They didn't think that Michigan ever looked like a, a dominant Georgia team or a dominant Bama team. But they have the 15-0 record to prove it. And I would counter that you just didn't want to accept that they looked invincible. I mean, there was never – I didn't think, except you could argue maybe against Maryland, maybe against the Terps a little bit, but – there was never a game where I thought they were in any danger of losing. I mean, even in the Alabama game, right? You thought, oh, after, you know, J.J. McCarthy almost throws the interception, there, Bama is able to get off to a great start. Michigan's done for, right? And they were able to just grind it out and come back. And I think something about their style of play leads to them never looking concerned, right? They always look in control with that Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards-powered run attack. They always look, you know, calm and collected. And the other thing is that while maybe they weren't as dominant, they always did what they had to do. And to me, that's the key of dominance, right? They had more potential, right? There was always more, oh, we could air it out and beat Washington by 50, maybe. You know, there's that possibility. 
Now, I don't think it would have happened, but there's that possibility. But no, we didn't. We kept it on the ground and we still beat them by 21. Right. And to me, that's the mark of a truly dominant team. I think it's one of the more dominant teams we've seen in a while. Um, There's no real shine. There's no miracle factor about them. It just is kind of the slow, inevitable grinding of the wheels, you know, slowly getting trampled by a steamroller going four miles an hour. You can't escape it. You know, you can run away from it, but you can't really escape it. It's not going to get stopped. It's not going to get beat. And to me, that is Michigan. So to me, they're getting a and representative of their record and representative of what they've done, a 15 out of 10. Um, I'm not going to go that high, I don't believe. Um, of course, they had their third – this was their third attempt in the college football playoffs in the last three seasons. In 2021, they had a first-round exit to Georgia. 2022, they had a first-round exit to TCU. And they were finally able to get over the mountain. They were finally able to conquer the world. And like Karen said, this was built off the back of a dynamic team. A team that had really, really good offensive line, a really, really good running back room where they were able to control the pace. They were able to control the play. And like Karen gave the analogy, it's like a really slow steamroller. Sooner or later, it's going to get you. Now, the part where I disagree with you, Karen, is the part where you mentioned that they were on the same level or had a reserve rating for a team like 2020 uh, Bama and a 2019 LSU. Now, Michigan, they looked good, but I don't believe that they were as dominant as you say they were. They weren't that good against competition as Ohio State. They really didn't steamroll them. Uh, that Bama game they played in the, in the uh, quarterfinals, that game was really close. And I mean, it started off shaky, but like you said, they were able to keep it on the ground and control the game. But there was many instances where Bama could have easily taken a win. Bama, if they would have converted on that fourth and goal, if uh, Jalen Miller never tripped, we don't really know the full story. And personally, again, this might just be the bias of me speaking, but I do think if Georgia would have beat Bama, I think Georgia would have won. And that's because they have similar ways of playing, and Georgia has a stifling defensive line, a stifling secondary capped off by Malachi Starks. But with that being said, they still were the champions. And like Kanye says, I guess we'll never know. Uh, Michigan did end up getting the win. They did end up beating everyone. And so I wouldn't go as far as to say that they were on the same level as Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. But I do think that team consists of very good players. I think J.J. McCarthy is a really good quarterback. I hope he does well in the NFL. I hope he doesn't just stay full-time backup. And I think Blake Corum is a outstanding running back. And I believe he'll do great things. So, of course, this has to be a 10, a perfect 10. But I wouldn't say it's a 15. I would have to stay with a 10, maybe 10.5. All righty. Um, now moving on to the most controversial team. And I'm talking about Florida State University. And the reason that they are controversial is the fact that they were snubbed out of the playoffs. Kieran, your thoughts? Yeah, so this is perhaps, of the 133 FBS teams, the hardest team to grade. Um, to me, you know, it's a it's a very hard grade. It's a very hard decision because they went 13-0, right? They played, they won all of their games. They didn't lose. Well, I, I guess they didn't go 13-0. Technically, they went 13-1 with the loss to Georgia in the bowl. Um so to me, it's 
it's a special Florida State team. I think it always will be remembered as a special Florida State team. Uh, they were very talented. They had a lot of talent. I, the loss of Jordan Travis kind of doomed that team. I think they had a really good, you know, the Mike Norvell did a great job out there. It was a good year for them. They did well. But I think that there was still, there's still something, you know, that they were missing, right? They weren't able to really look like the same team with and without Jordan Travis. And that comes down to the fact that he is a, a, a dynamic player and also the fact that, you know, maybe their backups aren't as experienced or as good as the backups at other teams. But to me, it still has to be a very solid 9 out of 10. Uh, I mean, it was really kind of random chance that they didn't get in. Maybe they should have, you know, maybe they if they looked a little more dominant, maybe if other players, you know, and maybe they definitely got snubbed out of the spot. But I still think that, you know, getting drugged through the mud by Florida, barely beating Louisville in a game that was almost unwatchable, right, uh, unless you're a defensive guy. And to me, that kind of just put that stain on their record. They weren't able to just power through them and just absolutely destroy them as they should have, I believe, and especially seeing how those teams ended up. So to me, yeah, it's a solid 9 out of 10, but what are your thoughts? Um, Yeah, I have to agree with you totally. Uh, It's a very sad ending of the year that they didn't make playoffs. And this speaks to college football, uh, the playoff committee as a whole. It really, it's still, I feel like, undecided of do they let the four best teams in or the four most deserving because if we're talking about most deserving, I think Florida State has to be in that conversation. They won everything. They went undefeated on the season uh, until they lost in the, uh, I believe, Citrus Bowl against Georgia. Orange but, Bowl, I think. Oh, yeah. Orange Bowl to Georgia. Uh, last year, the team lost to Wake Forest. They lost to NC State. They lost to Clemson. And even though they did beat LSU both years now, I mean, it was just a really sad team look like. They didn't look as dominant. But this year, when you kick it off beating LSU, and then you are consistently one of the top teams, and you play for your entire season, you do really well, um, you have to be in that conversation to be a top team, a 9 or a 10 team. The fact that they lost Jordan Travis, though, it really shot them down because then they weren't as prolific. Uh, they played ugly in a lot of games, and they didn't sh- they didn't show the Florida State team that we knew could beat um, LSU. They didn't show the team that beat um, Clemson in Clemson. And so for that reason, I have to give them a nine. If they did have Jordan Travis, I think we'd be talking a very different discussion. But based off of the things that happened this season and based off of the future that it looks like they're going to have with DJ Uyunglele, it has to be a nine. Alrighty. Now we're going to talk about a team who I want to nickname as Moneybags. If you have money, you are known as A&M. And that's because everything that went on with Jimbo Fisher, and that also revolves around how much money A&M spends. But anyways, Karen, give me your thoughts on A&M. Yeah, so A&M had, I mean, an insane season uh, when you look at it all told. Um, they went, I believe seven and five in the regular season. They did not win their bowl game. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma state, uh, which was, you know, it was kind of an ugly game. They were down to like the third or fourth or maybe fifth string quarterback by the end of it. 
I know their third string got injured on the first play, so I guess they were down to their fourth string. Uh, they had quarterback injuries to Max Johnson. They just struggled massively, obviously kind of towards the end of the season. Uh, Jimbo Fisher was had his ties severed forcibly with the team um, and was, you know, paid that huge sum of money. And I think that, you know, it was a, a, a better year than last year, certainly for the Aggies. But I think they could have done better. They should have done better with that roster. And they've really wasted that number one recruiting class that they were lucky to score. Uh, I don't think they deserved it. I don't think the program is that good right now. It's still a top-tier job. Uh, I believe they've hired a very good head coach in Mike Elko. Uh, it'll be really neat to see where what he does next year and how good they are. Um, but for in terms of this season, I think it's got to be just a plain Jane, straight down the middle, 5 out of 10. Kirtan, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. And I agree um, a little bit. I mean, of course, this was the most crazy roller coaster year you've ever had if you were an Aggies fan. I mean, from the fact that people predicted you to be good, Jimbo Fisher, um, losses to Miami, still played well, though, against every opponent. I mean, it was just a roller coaster of up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, considering everything that this team had to face this year, of course, it's deemed mediocre, but I'm going to give them an extra point for the fact that they actually proved to be a really good team. Um, with When they played LSU, when they played Tennessee, when they played Bama, all these games were held to less than 10-point difference. These were all either a field goal or a touchdown difference. Um, they looked really good. Like you said, they were given the number one class. Um, and I think that's because people are still riding that 2019-2020 season where AM looked like a really, really good team, and they were ranked number six at the end of the season. But with everything going on, a lot of players are leaving, and it's really shaky grounds. And talk about an unstable program, that's one of them. And so based off of how they played very mediocre, and it was right down the middle five, but for the fact of everything that the players had to endure, especially with losing all their quarterbacks, I'm going to give this team a six. Uh, keeping it in Texas, we're going to move to the Red Raiders, and I'm just talking about Texas Tech. So, Kieran, kick us off with your thoughts. Yeah, so I thought Texas Tech had a decent season. They obviously beat Texas last year. Uh, so that was kind of – and by last year, I mean the season before last, not the season we're talking about – um, uh, you know, that was a worse Texas team, um, but they still should not have lost to Texas Tech. Um, to me, I think their team took, took a little bit of a step back uh, this year, but I think it was still a decent season for them. I think they'll improve. I think they're a good team, especially I think it, it's kind of the Big 12 is becoming more wide open, I think, than any other conference right now. They just have, you know, there's all of the reshuffling. I know that's happening in other conferences, but it seems like there's no real established top team, and we're not exactly sure. Texas Tech is bringing in a good recruiting class, uh, including someone we have both played against. Um, and I think that, you know, I think it'll be good for them. I think they'll improve. Uh, and I think that, They'll have a good year next year, but I think as terms as far as this year, I think I got to go with a six out of ten. Right, it was kind of an anonymous year. They beat Cal in the bowl. They showcased a very you know a pass offense that we hadn't seen. Uh, they're very strong at the running back spot. Their defense was kind of the letdown sometimes, 
and they were kind of just an anonymous season. So it's, I think it's got to be a six out of 10. Yeah. And um, Texas Tech is given the fact that they had to play a much harder schedule than last year. Um, they did show up to the table. They did play just as well. Um, I believe Texas Tech is going to go through the hard knocks right now. And it's going to be tough times. I think they're going to build a program. I really do think they're going to be a much better team. Um, they're bringing in Micah Hudson, which a lot of people were shocked to hear him head over there. Um, they're bringing in Cameron Dickey, who we have played against. Um, and we know the talent they're going to bring in, and I do believe they are great players, and I do think they're going to turn the team around. I think the Big 12 is now going to be focused around teams like Oklahoma State, um, Kansas. I think these teams are going to be your dominant teams. And I think sooner or later, Texas Tech will build up. It might take five, ten years' time. But I do think they're going to get their way into the top ten, top five sooner or later. I really do see a really high upside for this team. And so for that reason, I'm going to give it a five. Uh, moving on to Tennessee. So I'll speak about this one. Tennessee, they had a – well, they weren't able to replicate the phenomenal season they had last year. Um, they're kind of like TCU in that sense where – Last year, they did really amazing. They beat Bama. They beat all these top-tier teams, and they were ranked number one for such a long time and finished number five or six. But this year, of course, when you have a different starting quarterback, everything really changes. The team um, the team isn't as steady because your captain's gone, your leader has left the building, and so now you have to rely on someone else. Uh, the Tennessee quarterback, he was really good this year, but they weren't able to replicate the success they had last year. This year, they lost to Bama, lost to Florida early on, uh, Missouri and Georgia. Although I'm speaking about lots of losses with these four big losses. Again, don't forget the fact Bama went to the uh, went to the college football playoffs. Georgia was one game off of the playoffs. Missouri, a New Year's Six team. And Florida, Florida, they're up and down. Um but they did play against a lot of dominant teams, and they did show upside. And um, for this reason, they did have a fall off from Grace. But compared to where the season's heading over with Nico, uh, I am Alieva, I believe is the name, something along those lines. But I believe the future is bright over in the Volunteer Stadium. And so for that reason, I'm giving them a seven. Kieran? All right. So we're going to disagree on this one. I'm just going to say, so... In framing this from last year, right, last year they were, I think, kind of the surprise team. They kind of crashed the top ten. They were a New Year's Six team. They had, you know, some heartbreaking losses, some insane wins, uh, just some general craziness that kind of occurred during that season. This year, Tennessee, uh, at the hands of Joe Milton, has been much worse, I think. While they, you know, and the, to me, the loss that sticks out is a loss to Florida, right? It's not, you know, it's really just a loss that should not have happened. You're a more talented roster. You're a team that played more consistently. And then losing to Missouri, you know, I guess it's understandable. Missouri is a very good team. But still, it seems like looking, coming into the season, Tennessee was kind of perspected to be that, probably that third team, right? Behind Bama, Georgia, and Old Miss. Uh, so third or fourth in the SEC, that didn't really happen. Missouri took that spot. Tennessee is kind of now in the SEC, you know, the SEC metrics, right? You've got your top teams. You've got your middle of the pack teams divided into the high middle of the pack and the low middle of the pack. Then you have the bottom feeders. And to me, Tennessee went from a top team to 
a high middle of the pack team this year while they were expected to still stay as a top team. So to me, that warrants a four out of 10 in terms of the grade. I don't think it was a great coaching job from Josh Heupel. I don't think it was a great, it just wasn't a good season for them. Uh, it's unfortunate for Tennessee. Uh, I think they will be better. But with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, I think they're going to get pushed down even more in the immediacy. Um, but hopefully they'll be able to recoup some of that and not turn into the Tennessee of old. Uh, so, yeah, it's a 4 out of 10 for me. Uh, moving on, we have another middle-of-a-pack SEC team. Uh, some of these ratings are going to be pretty brutal. Yes, we are going to do all of them in faithfulness to covering the sport. But the next team we've got is Kentucky. Uh, so, Kirtan, do you want to give us your thoughts on uh, the Kentucky Wildcats? Yeah, so the Kentucky Wildcats this season, they really stalled out. They only had five losses, which isn't that bad. But that was the exact same amount they had last year. Um, really, they perform. They had losses against top-tier teams. Uh, they were putting up fights against everybody. And Kentucky just showed colors. They showed, like, they are going to be a solid team. Of course, the season wasn't that great. I'm going to have to knock a couple points off for how they performed, especially compared to how they did last year. But again, we can't forget the fact that the Wildcats are in the SEC. They are in the hardest conference in the world. And the good thing, though, if you're a Wildcats fan, is that the future is looking up for you. We've covered this in episode one. I believe we talked about this a little bit in episode two about all the talent that you're about to receive in Brock Vandegrift. And so I believe this team is going to be phenomenal in the upcoming years. But as of right now, I have to give it a five. Kieran? Yeah, so, I mean, all I can really do is agree with you. Uh, Kentucky is kind of a middle of the, you know, pack team. Didn't really improve. I thought Ray Davis was very good for them. Uh, I thought they had some shortcomings, especially to some degree on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and also just, in, you know, they were physical. They were a hard-nosed team, but they weren't, you know, they were hard-nosed until they met Georgia, until they met Bama, until they met, you know, teams that were more talented than them. Um, and they kind of tried to play a little bit of the Michigan type kind of style football. Did not really work out. Uh, it's hard to do in the SEC. It's very hard to do. Uh, I think they had a decent season, but, yeah, it's going to be a 5 out of 10. All righty, and moving on, we're going to go to TCU. Uh, Kieran, you want to take this one? Yeah, so the hypnotoad, I don't know exactly what happened to him. Maybe he, I don't know, died in his terrarium, didn't get enough bugs to eat or something. Uh, or maybe it just got too cold. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but TCU did not do well. Um, after beating, you know, and winning in so many close games, just having the football tumble their way or, you know, the wind blow it into a receiver's hands uh, or, you know, blow that field goal through the uprights, it seemed like, you know, the wind and the tide was with them. Uh, and this year it has turned and gone the other way. Uh, you know, maybe they spent all their luck on last year. I think they also lost a lot of key players. I think people expected to take them them to take a step back. I don't think they expected them to completely drop out of the Big 12 conversation. Like if you had told me that four or five teams would be in the running for the title game in the final weeks of the season and that TCU was not one of them uh, preseason, I would have been pretty surprised. I thought they were going to be decent. Uh, they were not. They were, you know, a huge step backwards from last year. And some of that's understandable due to recruiting and other things. But it's not super sustainable for Sonny Dykes to me. 
But I think, you know, I think TCU will become a better team. I think they'll still be a decent team. And again, like everyone else, they have a shot in this updated Big 12 next year. But for this year, I think it's got to be a 3 out of 10 for me. Yeah, and I'm just going to go off the thing that, of course, this was a fall from grace. Again, another team. Um, TCU, they faced uh, teams that you would expect them to beat, especially based off of last season. Last season, you were led into battle by Max Duggan this year. You had his replacement. Uh, they didn't perform that well, especially when they opened up the season against a really mediocre, overhyped Colorado Buffaloes team. And you lose at home. It was really depressing, especially if you're known as the team that won, uh, that were running runners up in the year prior. Um, I honestly did expect this to happen. Uh, I know Kieran thought they would be one of the top five teams. I I expected them not to fall off this much. I thought they would be top twenty, top twenty five. And the reason I say this is because we have to take into consideration all the turnover they had. They lost Max Duggan. Most of their top tier players that they got drafted or left the team after the transfer portal dipped. And so for this reason, they did lose a lot of talent. The team didn't look as strong as they did in the year prior. And so really, if it's a fall from grace that they had, um, this team is going to receive a three. Um, next, we got the Cyclones. And by that, I mean the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, I'll kick this one off by talking about how uh, it was a hard-fought season this year, and the one previous, it seemed hopeless, honestly. If you watched the previous season of the Iowa State Cyclones, you really didn't see much upside to them. They really looked down. They were losing to teams like Baylor, who we know was really bad. Um, but this year, though, they only had losses to Iowa, the team that were runner-ups in the Big Ten Championship. They lost to Texas, and they lost to Kansas and Oklahoma. All four of these teams are really, really good teams that are really solid programs that are always going to have to fight for the championship in either Big 12 or SEC, honestly. Um, of course, I'm not taking into consideration the fact that they lost to Ohio University. Not the Ohio State, Ohio. And I'll talk about the Bobcats. And it was not good. Like, they lost. It was just sad. It's such... It's sad feat whenever you have a team that's like top tier uh, D1 or relatively middle pack D1 to lose to a bottom tier D1 team. And it was just really sad. It was a really sad finish for their or start of their year. But I think they bounced back and they're going to see some improvements. I'm not fully sure on Iowa State right now. That's why I'm a little questionable in how I speak about them. But I do see them improving from uh, how they did in the Big 12. So I do see them getting some upside, but honestly, I think the season was a five. Yeah, so I think Ohio State is on the upside, especially with quarterback Rocco Beck, who has looked better kind of into the trailing um, weeks of the season. I think they had a good season. They had some, you know, terrible losses. They played in that snowball, blizzard bowl game uh, with Kansas State, I believe, uh, that they did not win, unfortunately. But I think it was a good season for them. Um I think they're a very good team. Uh, I think they have a lot of upside, especially in their young quarterback that I already mentioned. Um, I think this season, especially in comparison to last year, uh, is going to get a six and a half out of 10 for me. I think they just deserve a little bit better of a grade. I think they have, you know, some upside. They're on the up. And again, the Big 12 is wide open. Somebody please take it. Um, I don't think it's going to be Iowa State. My bet is not on Iowa State, but there is not, you know, 
there's a chance that anyone can make a run and they are by definition someone. So yeah. And I actually, you know, quite enjoy talking Cyclones football. I think they've got a lot of potential for next year. While there's a chance for anyone to make a run, I think it could be them. I think they've got kind of the right building blocks. Uh, they're in Ames. And to me, that's a, you know, I think it'll be, you'll see a lot of upside. Uh, and next we're going to move to a team with probably the most upside of anyone, uh, except, of course, for my Texas Longhorns, uh, who I am not at all biased towards in this podcast. But, uh, yes, as you can guess by the chest pounding and the delusional Kool-Aid that has begun to be drunken across the South, specifically the state of Georgia, uh, where the Georgia Bulldogs are next on the chopping block for season's ratings. Uh, I'm going to take this one to start out with. Apparently, it's delusional Kool-Aid if a team wins back-to-back years. Let's just start with that. Texas, last time you won? Oh, not for 20 years. Oh, whoops. Should have been 2009 is all I'm saying. Poor Colt yeah, McCoy. Well, Special Colt McCoy, but now we got Carson Beck in UGA. Um, to talk about this season, you can't have asked for more. Of course, you could always say you would want the national championship. Georgia's a top-tier team. But we're talking about the fact that Georgia lost – Georgia always loses top-tier talent in the NFL draft. Uh, most notably, they lost uh, Stetson Bennett. He was our quarterback. He was our leader in, to battle. And all, I think, five foot ten of him uh, left our team. He was a really good quarterback. And so now we had his replacement. We had Carson Beck. And I'm going to call him the Wonder Kid because he was able to take a Georgia team who people thought were going to fall off a little bit. I know they were still projected to be number one, number two, number three, but they didn't think we we're going to be as dominant as the year prior or the year before that. But he took a really good team uh, really far into their season. Uh, of course, they went undefeated in the regular season. No one could touch him. No one came close to touching him, really. Um, and then they played, well, I mean, a couple teams, but we were never going to lose, okay? We were never, ever going to lose. We were a dominant force. We walked past. We walked into battle, and we were ready. Um, the only sad part is that we did lose to Bama in the SEC championship game, where I think that was the one game where I, as a Georgia fan, said, look, we really are getting dominated here. We're getting controlled. Even though it's not that big of a point spread, we were still – we lost the game based off of management of the clock and just not playing to our full potential. With that being said, I do think we would have won the championship if we were in the playoffs, but again, we'll never know. But this season, based off of last, it has to get docked a couple points, but I'm still going to give it an eight. Kieran, what are your thoughts on the best team in the world? Wow, I, I really expected the 20 out of 10 to come out there. I <sighs> I thought it was going to happen until he finally admitted that Georgia was, in fact, not the best team in college football this year. Uh, and so, to me, Georgia is a bit of a hard team to rate. Uh, they weren't as good by any metrics as 2022 Georgia. Um, I think, you know, next year they've got a good shot. Um, but to me, this year, Georgia had, I think it was an off year for Georgia, if you look at it in total. Uh, they were not as physical as we've seen them by any means. Uh, to me, they weren't as dominating, especially on defense. Um, they are, have been known for defense, especially on 2022, but their defensive line especially got outpowered and was outdone 
as well as just their front seven in general in several games, including the Alabama game and the Auburn game. And to me, you know, Georgia had – it was a good season. Uh, I think all Georgia fans are a little bit sad about it. I think that it was, you know, they played well against Alabama. They did not play like themselves. Um, I think that they're losing a lot in terms of offensive talent to the draft this year. They had a very good tight end in Brock Bowers and a good wide receiver in Lad McConkey. Uh, and Carson Beck also played well throughout the year. But to me, especially considering preseason expectations to, you know, be so close and then drop the ball to Alabama. Uh, a game that they should have won and they should have gotten a shot at Michigan or I guess Michigan, uh, probably Washington in that scenario, I guess, with the way the pack, with the way the playoff would have shaken out, depending. Um, Well, no, I guess maybe Texas or I don't know. It would Um, be Texas. It would probably be Texas. Um, And to me, Georgia, I mean, they were a good team. I think they had a good year. I would have liked to have seen them make the playoff. Um, although I also was glad that Bama made the playoff, you know, mixed feelings, mixed thoughts on Georgia. Um, and to me, it's got to be a seven and a half out of 10. All right. That makes sense. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, moving on to a new segment. And this is kind of like a reflection segment. We're going to be talking about our favorite moments from the season. Why we both agree that this was probably one of the best seasons that we've seen in a while. And we're going to be ranking the best games of the season. Um, you want to kick it off with your favorite memory? Yeah, so my favorite memory of the season um, has to be, um, you know, there's kind of two that stick out to me. Uh, I was at the Sugar Bowl, uh, and I was also at the Kansas State game. Uh, I enjoyed both. There was a lot of drama in both. But I think, you know, watching Jordan Whittington, my single favorite memory from this whole year is watching Jordan Whittington, you know, whatever it was, 30 seconds to go, catch that ball, and I think it was the Washington 20, just solid hands, just straight up there. You knew he was going to get it. Uh, And giving Texas a chance um, and being at times the best player on the field, you just feel so good for him. You can think that he is the foundation of culture and he's going to be a huge asset to whatever NFL team drafts him. Uh, I think he's one of the best players on the Texas team. And it was so great to watch him make that play. And it was just an insane moment. And I'm so grateful to have been there. Uh, and it was great to watch and the hype in the stadium. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to convert and get it done, uh, at least for me, you know, my Texas fanship. But for college football, it was a great game. Uh, I thought Washington played well. I think Texas would have done better against Michigan in the title, but that is what it is. Um you know, I think it was that that play is specifically what sticks out to me and was my favorite moment. Kirtan? My favorite moment from this season, I was trying to think about this when we first looked at the question. And honestly, my favorite moment wasn't particularly watching a game. Um, it wasn't anything to do with the game, wasn't anything to do with the team. It was the college football playoff scenarios that we had and that was my favorite moment of the season because of the fact that it could have gone any way it was always a fun conversation to have with you Kieran with all my family about who's going to get in who's not um using the ESPN college playoff predictor was super fun to like fiddle around with 
look at all these different scenarios to see who gets in, and then inevitably pick who I believe was going to sneak into the playoffs. Um, those were the best moments because then we got to play around. We got to think about who deserves it, who's the best, and then try to weigh both our options. And then watching Selection Sunday like on the big screen and just staring at it and then hearing your fourth team, Alabama, and the fact that all the Florida State fans get into an uproar. Bama's like so happy. Michigan's almost seems a little nervous as they like grunted. And that was just like one of the best moments of the season because you didn't really know how it was going how it was going to end up shaking out. And so for that reason, that moment, that playoff predictions and playoff selection Sunday was the best part of the college football season. Um Kieran, here's an interesting question for you. One of the best seasons in a while. Agree or disagree? Yeah, so I think that this was the best season that at least the playoff era has produced. Uh, I think that, you know, the eventual champion, I know there was, I can't remember if it was ESPN or the playoff committee, but someone put out a graphic, right? And it was, you know, hype, you know, sick music, all of that. And it said, you know, may the best story win. Uh, and I think Michigan winning is a great story. I think Washington was a great story. I think that Bama team was an insane story. And, you know, obviously Texas being back is always going to draw headlines. And I think to me that it was a great season. You know, we saw a lot of great games and we'll rank some of them later. But to me, it's hard to decide on which games are the best, right? There was a lot of, you know, hype early in the season, Colorado, and it feels like it was just forever, right? It feels like our sport has changed so much uh, since that first kickoff, uh, Navy and Notre Dame in November, or no, September, sorry. It seems an age ago, right? First sitting down, you know, watching the first college football game, high school football was just, you know, coming into gear. Uh, It seems like truly a different time, and now here we sit – in what is for us the dead of winter um, recording this and talking about and reminiscing on the season. And yeah, I think it was one of the best season, right? Like who remembers the Ohio state Notre Dame game? Who remembers the, uh, you know, Texas Alabama game in all its entirety, more people, right? Exactly. But all of those games to me led and created what was a really good season. I think the Auburn Georgia game was kind of underrated there. Uh, the fact that Auburn got toppled by New Mexico State, a lot of these games involve Auburn. Uh, the Iron Bowl, uh, the game, of course. Uh, all of those crazy rivalries. The Red River rivalry was a good game. Uh, and I think it led to what was a, a great season. I think it's hard to argue that this season is bad or that the season is really lacking in any way. Uh, other than, of course, the little letdown was the national title game. Would have loved to see Michael Penix go off and make that, you know, a 72 to 71 uh, game. But, you know, I think it was a great season. I think it was probably the best season that the playoff has produced. And I think it provides all of the anti-expansionists, such as to some degree myself, uh, with more ammunition for the reasons why we should not go to 12 and should instead please just give us four. Uh, But, yeah, Kirtan, I – toss the same question up to you. Alrighty. The main reason why I believe the season was so great is because there were so many fitting games. It was almost like how we talked about the NFL is scripted. 
it almost seemed that way for this season of college football. I mean, just having all these perfect scenarios where um, let's take Red River, we take Texas, we take Oklahoma. Both these teams at the time are highly, highly ranked, and you're almost thinking whoever wins this game is going to the playoffs. Well, it actually turned out to be the opposite. Oklahoma topples Texas, and then Texas sneaks their way into the three seed, winning all of the Big 12, which no one would have expected. Um, you have moments like that. You have the moment where Milvro throws a on a fourth and like forever, it felt like, into the back of the end zone during the Iron Bowl for a win. You had all these like significant moments. And then I'm going to give you ammunition that's against the four-team playoffs because I actually am pro-expansion. Um, we had so many fitting teams that all, uh, that I feel equally deserved a shot at the playoffs this year. I think Florida State should have easily gotten a chance. I think Georgia had to get a chance at that playoff. I think Ole Miss, after what they did, I think Ohio State's she- season should not have been determined by just one game. But for each of these reasons, it showed that everyone had a chance. Every game was fun. Every big game, every uh, ESPN college game day always was uh, – or the hype was real on every single game because every game ended up somehow or another really fun, really exciting. Um, that's all I got. But moving on, we have our ranking of the best games this season. So – Karen, you want to kick it off? Yeah, so I'm just going to go five to number one, you know, five games. Uh, Hard to pick five, very hard. Uh, There's going to be one in here that's kind of a bit of a sleeper. Um, But at number five, to kick it off, uh, I have the game, which I know is surprising to be at number five. Uh, I think it was a good game. It was super hyped. Uh, I was I listened to it on the radio uh, driving back from my uh, grandmother's house. It was you know it was a hype game. I was excited. It was rivalry weekend. Um, it was a big deal, and yeah, I thought it was it was a great game, um, and it was a good game. But it wasn't the pinnacle. It wasn't the best that we've seen. Uh, and at number four, I have got to go with. Um, to me, it was it was a dynamic game. Uh, it was a bit of a crazy game. It was, you know, uh, a little insane, a little special, very, uh, you know, crazy, really good early season game. Um, it was hectic as always, and it's got to be the Red River rivalry uh, at number four. Um, it was the last Big 12 edition. Uh, glad this game is going to continue to be played. Uh, in the early season where it belongs uh, with some of the shortcomings that the stadium and venue may have. I think it's a special venue. I think the Texas state fair and all of that surrounding the game really amps it up. Um, And so at number three is, I think kind of the surprise pick the surprise, um, you know, worm to weasel its way in here. And this is, as I've referred to, I've actually already talked about it this episode, uh, the blizzard bowl between Kansas and Iowa State. Kansas State and Iowa State. Now, I don't, I don't think many of you expected this game to show up on here, but it was surreal to watch this game. All the snowmans on the, on the bleachers, uh, all of the, you know, just plowing through the snow, the tackles, the long runs, how explosive the game was, uh, despite it being frigid. 
And so, yeah, that's going to sit at number three. It was a great game. Kansas State was a tough team to pull off that win, and it was a really great game to watch. Um, at number two, I think is probably one of the most hyped games of the year. Uh, it was the game that we thought determined everything. Uh, it turns out that it didn't. You know, it started these crazy kind of speculation. Uh, it started the Texas is back. It started all of that. And that is the Bama-Texas game on week two. Uh, and now it's at number two uh, because to me there is one game that I think was a little bitter, uh, a little bigger, uh, a little better. Um, and so I would put a tie here. Um if I was perhaps someone who, you know, thought that Michigan genuinely, you know, it wasn't a busted play for Bama, um, that it wasn't kind of that, you know, the Rose Bowl ending just put a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I think Bama could have done something better. I think it, it didn't ruin a great game. It was still a great game, uh, but it kind of kicked it off of this top five list and especially kind of out of this spot. And this spot, it's going to be the playoff semifinal game. Uh, in New Orleans on New Year's night uh, that I was so fortunate to witness, and that's got to be the Sugar Bowl. Uh, and that's my number one game this season. Uh, Kirtan, let's get your top five. Yeah, so when I was just, uh, looking at this, I really whittled it down to like six games, honestly. Um, I didn't think I could do five or – I think it's going to be close. So here are my top five. At five, I have a tie between – I got to look at this because now I get nervous that I'm not going to have it right or I'm going to mess up my rankings for y'all. So I'm going to say – I'll say top five. Okay. Number five, TCU versus Colorado. The reason I have this game here is because such a fun game to watch – um, Deion Sanders, his first game coaching in the FBS, we're ready to see what he can really do with a team, with a real team playing a another real team, another top-tier D1 team. And he really showed out. They showed really good uh, skill, and they looked really good, especially playing the uh, last year's runner-up. Four, I have LSU at Florida State. Another great way to kick off this year. LSU ranked number six, projected to be probably in the playoffs or really close to it, playing a Florida State team, which we know beat them last year, but we didn't know how Florida State was really going to pan out. And the fact that Florida State was able to take care of business at home, and it really set the tone for the rest of their season and how it was going to progress. At three, I have a tie between the game, Michigan versus Ohio State and Bama, Georgia. The reason I had this year is because the game was just so fun, and both these games in general had such a big impact on the playoffs because whichever teams won that game, we're going to make it, and that's definitely what we saw with Michigan winning and Bama winning, sneaking into the four spot. Two, I have UT versus Oklahoma. Um, you really can never go wrong with a with a rivalry and a shootout because both these teams every year they come – uh, prepared and they come ready to play and they end up doing so because no matter what it's always close it's really hard to predict and people thought texas was gonna win not gonna happen oklahoma dylan gabriel played like a heisman uh but both teams played really well but 
they take the cake in the end. And the best game of the season, and I'm shocked that you didn't add this to your list, Washington versus Oregon. The rematch, I'm saying. The Pac-12 championship. This had to be the game of the season because, again, it included everything. Hype. It included reasons for going to the playoffs. Uh, It included who's the better team, who might be your eventual Heisman winner. There were so many things that made this such a great game. And the fact that no matter what, Washington was relentless and they were not willing to lose. And they beat Oregon in Oregon's revenge game against them. Showed everyone that, oh yeah, Washington, they're a solidified top-tier team. And the team that would end up making it to the uh, national championship. So those are my top five, technically six teams. All right, so I just want to stick a little quick. Before we move on, uh, nothing has broken yet. I am continuing to... Um, yeah, other than some draft declarations, um, nothing is really broken. Uh, we're going to get into this last segment. But first, uh, Cam Ward has announced that he's transferring to Miami, uh, which would presumably indicate D.G. Uyunglele to Florida State. Uh, I think it's great for Miami. We'll discuss it more in the next episode. But I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, I think it's, you know, they're building a solid roster down there. And, yeah, your thoughts real quick before we move on to the big bad segment of the episode. Um, I think this is great for both te- uh, for both players because I think DJ Uyunglele's entire reason he couldn't commit was because um, if he committed to the same school as Cameron Ward, I think they were always going to start Ward over him. And so it's actually nice that he waited it out, and I think he got the team that was most desirable for him. I think he really wanted to go to Florida State. I think Florida State really wanted to have him as he is a veteran quarterback who's been in the league a while and played top-tier teams. Of course, being part of Oregon State, who did really well in Clemson. Um, I think this is a great pickup for both teams, and I both I, and I agree I think both teams are going to succeed in the, uh, in the short-term period of next year. Uh, that's what I got to say. Uh, moving on to, like what Kieran said, the big bad segment of the video, the sliding sands of college football and the – earthquake essentially you could say the ground shaking parts so let's start it with the most notable one nick saban is gone he's in the caribbean sipping on a pina colada here what are your thoughts yeah so this is a day i suppose that some part of me knew would come Uh, i hoped it wouldn't come um I think that even though, you know, he dominated the sport, I think he was a huge addition to the sport. Uh, I think it was, you know, great to have him. I'm very glad that we got to, you know, be able to witness some of his coaching brilliance. Uh, He's the best to ever do it. Uh, And although just the outpouring of stories about him, right, of about all the legends, you know, and it almost seems like he died, right? It's kind of crazy. He's retired. He's still doing well. He said it's not due to health reasons. Uh, just due to, you know, the fact that it's that too much has changed, I guess, for him. Um, but he's doing well. Miss Terry's doing well, from what I hear. Um, it's a huge shade for Alabama. Uh, seeing someone else take the stage and take the podium as the Alabama head coach is crazy to me. Um, seeing someone else be there in Tuscaloosa. I know he's not completely hands-off the program, but it's a huge change. It's a huge shift in the face of college football. And more importantly, uh, with Jim Harbaugh, currently, as far as we can tell, as far as our sources are indicating, 
uh, in talks with the Chargers, and it's looking like that's going to happen and that he's going to be uh, out of Michigan uh, with other coaches getting their contracts extended, like Sark and Dan Lanning, uh, among others. I think Lane Kiffin as well. Um, you know, it just, I think to me, this is the end of an era, right? You could mark it right here, uh, January 11th, the end of an era. Uh, the change, the changing of the guard has occurred. Um, and, you know, it really changes everything. And the fact that three tier one jobs, count them, Alabama, Texas A&M, and it's looking likely Michigan. Um, maybe you could make some argument for Washington, although I think that's a very good job, not a top job. Uh, have been open in one season, and I think that's insane. Um, and I think it really just indicates how much college football is changing. Um, and, you know, later, perhaps maybe when we have more time, you know, we didn't – we were not fortunate enough to cover Nick Saban a whole lot, but when we did, I think we were both very grateful for being able to cover him. Uh, it was huge. Um, you know, the tum- the turmoil that this caused in college football is, you know, something – crazy and even the national public radio npr a publication pretty much as far away from college football and sports in general as you can get did a piece on nick saban's retirement which i think is insane and shows how much of an impact he had not only on college football and on players and other coaches but on the whole on the sport as a whole and another thing that i'd like to point out is that nick saban so in the top six this year three of those coaches half were influenced and worked for him. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, and Steve Sarkeesian, which is huge. I mean, to have, including yourself, three, half of the coaches in the top six are, were or, you know, worked for you or were taught by you in some way is insane. And the amount of talent that he was able to cultivate and breed, I mean, he's really something special that we'll never see. Certainly a legend with the likes of Bear Bryant. Uh, and I think, you know, he has a well-deserved retirement, and I think everybody is wishing him the best. But, Kirtan, let's get some of your thoughts. Yeah, and I'm just going to summarize a couple of these things. Nick Saban, gone, is, like you said, end of an era. You can mark it right now because of what he's done for the entirety of NCAA football. Um, he has a large impact on this entire game. And like you said, people people that have nothing to do with Nick Saban uh, realize how big of this – how big of a moment this is for all of college football and um, honor him on like honor his legacy that he had. And it's really a big change. And now the question is who's going to be that next top dog and who's going to be the next person. So like you said, um, three top tier team or top tier coaches are leaving. Maybe not top tier coaches, but top tier programs coaches are leaving. And that's Saban, who is the coach, the greatest coach. You have Harbaugh, the national championship winner, and you have Jimbo Fisher, the leech that was joined by Jameis Winston or basically rode Jameis Winston to get a job. Um, no offense to Jim Har- Jimbo Fisher, but I just don't believe he's that great. Um, this is a big change, and especially going into this new era of 12-team playoffs and this two-conference uh, two dominant power, we're really going to see a big change and just how the game was played and what's the future going to look like. Um, we said a Harbaugh's in talks with the Chargers. This has been expected. Harbaugh really has been very secretive and discreet about his actions. He likes to just say like, 
let's just live in the moment right now. Let's who has it better than us? No one. Stuff like all that. He likes the confetti to stares, tells a story, thousands of stories, and all of the confetti. Exactly. All of it. You can look at him. So really, that blue and yellow confetti, it may not have been for Michigan. It probably was for the LA Chargers, as that will probably be his next job. And so he was celebrating two things on that field. Um what else? Um we can talk about Kalen DeBoer and how he's now leaving for Bama after having two huge years at Washington. He's proven to be the guy and now that he's gonna take the reins at a at the top uh, program for the last decade. Um they're gonna you're gonna know how good he's he's really gonna be. Uh Ryan Grubb, his offensive coordinator, already spoke out saying he will not take the job of the Huskies head coach and he's probably going to join his head coach in going for the tide. That's another big thing because Saban, like uh, we noted, uh, tried to recruit him last year. And so now Allium is getting what they want. Um, lastly, like Kieran said, he talked about how there's three Nick Saban um, influenced coaches on uh, or made the playoffs or got really close to the playoffs, top six. Well, that's going to be the story. Nick Saban may have retired, but his legacy did not. His legacy lives on in his in his coaching tree of everybody, from Jason Garrett of the Cowboys to Sharkeesian, who just signed another four-year deal, to Dan Lanning, to uh, Will Muschamp, everyone. It's going to be a whole variety of, um, of talent that Nick Saban produced. And this is not the end, because Nick Saban's legacy will live on through these coaches, who will probably, it's going to be a huge family tree. And I believe sooner or later, we're going to get to the point where there are going to be so many players that you can, or so many head coaches that you can trace back to Nick Saban. And the, and if it wasn't for Nick Saban, none of these guys would have been head coaches and no one would really have that right of the future. He really impacted the game. Um, those are my big thoughts for the sliding stands of college football. Kieran, if there's anything else you want to add to it. Yeah. So I think that there are kind of two things. First, a lot of people have said that maybe Kalen DeBoer, you know, how many people refused the offer before Kalen DeBoer accepted? I don't think it was that many. Uh, I think, you know, the Alabama uh, athletic director and that kind of that athletic department let, you know, the money be made off of, oh, maybe my coach is going, I better sign him. Oh, I'm going to put out a recruiting promo about how dedicated I am. But I honestly think that to some degree, Kalen DeBoer was probably, if not the first, one of the first calls, probably first two or three, because he's gone a combined five and zero over Sark and Dan Lanning uh, in the in the past uh, two years that he's been at Washington, uh, which is very unfortunate and sad for both the Longhorns and the Ducks. But um, that shows you that I think Alabama got their guy. I think Nick Saban had a lot to do with it. I think he's been very high in praise of Kalen DeBoer. Um, I, to some degree, thought that he was the most movable of the coaches that seemed likely to take the job. Um, and I think it was. I think it's going to be a good job for him. I think he's going to succeed there. I don't think Alabama is particularly going anywhere. Um, and also, and we're going to talk more about this on our next episode. But it, but the current setup is that two. Uh, G5 teams will make it into the playoff next year. And I'm not sure, you know, this is the change that everybody's been talking about. You know, it's been building up. Everybody said, you know, college football is going to change. 
and it may not change immediately for the better, but eventually it'll swing around and get there. And, you know, I think it will. And I think it has, it'll eventually swing around, but I think this is the change that everybody's talking about. This is the curtain being ripped off. This is the band aid. This is whatever you metaphor you want to use. This is the change. This is the one thing that is changing college football as we know it, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, and your thoughts on next year, Kirtan? Okay. Uh, my bad. I was a little muted there, but oh, we're back now. Um, with so many big changes going to this group of uh, to this new playoff format with these 12 teams, it's really going to shake up the entire playoff as we know it. It's going to shake up the entire college football scene as we know it. And so, firstly, talking about the two conference uh, domination. Now the two powerhouses are the SEC and the and the um who in the Big Ten as they're going to basically absorb everyone from the Pac-12. All the big teams from the Pac-12 are now head to the Big Ten. So you're gonna see two conference domination. My prediction is that there's probably gonna be plus minus seven. I'm gonna say seven's the number for teams that are in the Big Ten and in the SEC that make the playoffs. I think it's gonna be really fun to watch. Uh, looking next year, yeah, with the 12 team playoff, it's gonna be crazy. Um, you don't really, you really don't know what's gonna happen. Next year seems very unpredictable, especially with all these different schedules. With the fact that there are no divisions in these conferences, and how it's just gonna be straight up like the SEC. Um, and lastly, discussing the fact that I personally, this is gonna be my hot take for the episode. I always do one. Uh, I believe by the year 2030 or 2027 to 2030, they will get rid of all conferences. There will be no such thing as conference football. It will just be called NCAA football. And it'll be all under one conference, every school, everything. And all that's going to happen is it's basically going to say, we're now part of one conference. And then bigger teams get paid more, smaller teams get paid less, but then there's more, it's more fair. And I think that's where we're moving towards. I may be wrong, but that's my prediction for the episode. Karen? Well, Every uh, every scheduler, every person involved in scheduling across the 133 FBS teams, uh, just got a little scared there, just a little, just a little, just. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I don't, you know, I cannot say I agree with you. I have to think that there will still be some element of conferences. I think at some point there will be two, and you might end up with a third Division One category. Uh, I'm not sure I like where the sport is going, but I think eventually it'll end up in a better place. I think there is some element of a bright future. Um, I mean, the FCS playoff has been great for years. Uh, you know, you get to see Montana and uh, North or South Dakota State duke it out for the title. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I we're going to get something similar. Um, I love the 14 playoff. I do not think that there will is as much value in three 14 playoff games as there will be in 15, uh, you know, 12 team playoff games or however many it ends up being. Um, I just think, you know, the value and scarcity economics doesn't quite allow that, uh, unfortunately. And the regular season won't mean as much, but it'll be a huge change. It'll be like, you know, jumping into the Arctic. And trying not to gasp for breath next year, especially for those of you who have been listening uh, and watching college football for a while um, and are, you know, a bit of the old salts, um, people who have, you know, were around um, 
when Miami dominated, when Florida dominated, when all of that happened. Um, and to me, it's a huge change. And I think these monumental shifts um, is what's going to govern these next few years up until that 2030 era. And we just have to live with it uh, and hang on and a great way to hang on and get the latest um, and the most pristine uh, of coverage for our beautiful, uh, changing, growing, evolving sport uh, is by subscribing and listening to and liking the podcast. Uh, as well as subscribing and following us on YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for all of your support so far. We're looking forward to a great 2024, uh, even if it is chaotic in this new college football format. And, yeah, thank you all very much. And I think that wraps up the end of this episode. Uh, some final thoughts, Kirtan? Uh, like what Karen said, it would be very, very kind of you if you would please subscribe. Please, everyone that watches this, go to our spotify i'm going to start linking in the description all of our socials um if you want us to keep producing quality content and probably better content more interactive content please subscribe please leave comments please leave likes um we're looking towards a very very dark maybe scary maybe fun future for the college football scene next episode we're probably going to have some more interactive um segments we're going to be probably talking about everything that we didn't cover in this episode that we want to go more in detail in. And we'll probably do our way too early mock draft of the NFL draft. And we'll do our way too early predictions at the AP top 25 for week one. With that being said, please like subscribe, do whatever you can share with a friend, tell your friend to go tell another friend and then go tell your friend's friend's friend, another friend who ends up being your cousin to go subscribe, all that stuff. Leave a like, And we'll see you soon.